Let's turn in our Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 14. Millions of people since the coronavirus started have become believers. I have friends that are in all parts of the world, and there's an organization uh, where James Davis leads, and I can tell you this. Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of Christians have come since March. They've come to the Lord all over the world. And when you see that, even Iran, there's all kinds of people coming to Christ. Now, they have to hide it, but it's everywhere. So it's just a wonderful thing. And that proves this that, to us that God is on the move. God is on the move. If you missed, if you missed uh, this weekend, remember, the Samaritan's Purse did a 2020 prayer march in Washington, D.C. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. Wow, God looked really good. See, he's on the move. Now, we have to be on the move. So here's the title of today's teaching. The courage to follow God forward, spiritually and physically. You're going to see this with Paul and Barnabas. Now, here's the key you know. How did all these people come to Christ? How in the, all in the world are these people, Iran and all these countries and nations, how did they come to Christ? Here it is. God uses people to reach people. When you get to the tribulation, he'll use angels and so forth. And once in a while, he might use an angel, but he uses people. Thank you. But the reason we've had more than 800 people get saved since March is because you guys have been inviting people. You guys online have been inviting people. We've joined our campus in Vieira and Sebastian. They're doing the same thing. They're all of our campuses, and it's not just Calvary's. It's churches all over the place. I just saw something in a church uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think it is, a Calvary chapel in, in California. They just, in the ocean, they baptized 1,000 people. Praise the Lord. He's on the move. We're on the move. So we have to follow him. So we're going to go back 2,000 years and see how Paul and Barnabas step out in courage. Now, remember last week, very simple, if you weren't here, we saw the angry Jews from Antioch and Iconium. They came in from other places where Paul had been, and, and they got together, and they said, we're stopping the gospel. So they took Paul to the outside of the city, and they stoned him. Now, most people don't really know because Luke, Dr. Luke never told us exactly, but most, most commentators believe he did not die, but he was probably had a concussion, he had broken bones, bleeding everywhere and whatever, and all of a sudden, look at Acts 14, if you will, look to verse 20, see what it has, just open your Bibles. And it says this, but after the disciples had gathered around him, remember, Jesus had a, a Jesus, yeah, Jesus too. Jesus and Paul had already started discipling new believers right in that city. And they gathered around him, and he got up and went back into the city. Now, think of this. You just probably had a concussion. You're bleeding. You're bruised. You're battered. And all of a sudden, the disciples get around him. Now, if, if there's Paul... And, you know, he's not awake yet. And here's these young disciples. And they see what happened to him. Here's what they're thinking. Whoa. I, I'm a believer. Is this what's going to happen to me too? Do you think they would think that? Well, of course they would. So Paul's going to show them, it's okay. I'll show you something. So he gets right up. 
<laughs> and he goes right back to the city where they'd stoned him, in the, in the main, middle of the city. Now, that I call is courage. You say, Pastor Mark, that's stupid. No, not when God tells you to go forward. You better go forward. And that's exactly what Paul did. Now, when we see that, what did that do? When that courageous part of his body, it did this. It did two things. When he walked back into the city, he was saying to Satan, na, 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 na. You're stopping the gospel. No, you're not. I'm okay. God healed me. I'm moving forward. Could I hear an amen right there? You see, it's all spiritual warfare. Now, of course, he didn't say, no, no, no. I'm just telling you the deal. He said, your plan has been defeated. Here I am. You thought I was going to be killed. The second thing it did to those disciples watching what he did, when he gets off the ground and works his way back into town, what do you think it did to them? It built courage. If he can do it with God's strength, we can do it. So Satan, bye for today. I know you'll be back, and we'll see that today. Now, what is courage? What is courage? Here it is. The state of quality of mind or quality of mind and spirit that enables a person to face danger, fears, all kinds of trouble in your life with two things. With confidence, it's going to be okay, and a commitment. Paul is making a commitment. If you're a Christian, you've made a commitment to follow God regardless. And that means we can have courage. Now, I had a Nike t-shirt somebody gave me a long time, just a sweat thing, that, a little light one that I play. And on the front of it, it says this, just do it. Well, I was actually going to wear it, but I figured, well, I won't wear it, I'll just tell you. Uh, here, look at this, courage, just do it, move forward despite the fear. That's what God's doing. That's what we're doing. That's why this country is coming, basically, against all the garbage that we see out there, everything against God. You know, most of the people in our country, not most, all, but most, they just, they don't want nothing to do with God. They don't like any church telling them what to do. They just want to do what they want to do. Well, that is not from God. We are to be going forward with God and his word. Understand that. Now, what will God tell Paul and Barnabas to do now? He goes to, uh, to the city, and he spends one night there, and he gets up the next morning. Well, look at verse 20. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So Paul and Barnabas have already covered half of their missionary uh, journey. Now they're going to do the second half of it. We'll finish it today in one little part next week. Now, they're going to go forward with courage. Now, look at how this has been. Look on the map, and then I'll tell you something. Paul and Barnabas, when we look at most of these cities, they had suffered all kinds of persecution on the first part of that journey. They had shared the gospel, and it was all about, of course, Jesus. But courageously, they had been, they started way back in the beginning at Antioch. Then they went to Cyprus, as you know, and then Perga, and then Bithynian Antioch, and there we just talked about it today, uh, Lystra and Iconium. Now they're going, see it right there? They're going to Derby. Now, watch, look at me just for a second as you look at that. They're going back to the cities 
they were persecuted in. That sounds crazy. They're going back where they were kicked out of the cities. By the way, the reason they were kicked out of the cities is one thing. It wasn't about God. It was about Jesus. See, Satan doesn't care about God, really. I mean, he hates him, but he hates Jesus because the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. And that's what Paul taught. And those people, especially the Jews that didn't believe, get out of here. We're not interested in that. Remember, when you're standing up and sharing the gospel, it's, of course, we believe in God, but it's always about Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody goes to heaven without him. So they're going back to those very cities where the people were so mad at them, persecuted them, beat them, did whatever. Now, when you see that, what does that mean? They're going back to those cities. It means this. They're not thinking about themselves. They're putting it on the line. Now, why would they be putting it on the line? Because Paul knew this. All the Christians that came, almost every single town was filled with people coming to Christ, plus the persecution. He knew they were young believers. They don't know what to do now. He left them. Because he can't stay in one city and next city. He left them. So he and Barnabas are talking. Hey, God is directing us back there because we understand the first step in evangelism is becoming a convert. But now these people don't know what to do. All these Christians that have come to you, they don't simply know what to do. Well, he knew that it would be with the word of God. Now, let me just show you how blessed we are, not only here, but in most of the world. In those days, there were no Bibles. Maybe in the Jewish synagogue, they'd have the Old Testament. Nothing in the New Testament. No Bible like this. No TV program you can walk to. No, no book, Christian books, nothing. So where are they going to, what's Paul going to do? He's going to teach from the Word of God. Now, remember something very important. When God came and changed Paul's life, he took him later to the desert for about three years. And Jesus taught him personally. How'd you like to be taught by Jesus? Woo! <laughs> Amazing. Well, so watch what he writes to Timothy, who is one of his young pastors later. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. Now, look at the outcome of this. This is why Paul's going back to the city. Watch. God uses it to prepare and equip his people, these new believers, to do every good work. So he knew if he doesn't get back there, you'll see later in the teaching, these babies, these new converts will fall away because there's nobody to disciple them, to teach them the word of God. Now, here's something I want to say to you. They're going back to tell the same truth that they always did. They'll teach to more people. And here's the key. Every Christ follower needs the courage to share the gospel. God will give you courage. That's why he filled us with the Holy Spirit, that we be witnesses to him. Now, they will continue to go to these cities they'd been in and kicked out of and per persecuted and all that, but they're going to speak the truth as they go there. Now, they're going to talk about the good things as a believer, and they're going to talk about some of the difficult things that they're going to face as well. Now, here's Derby. 
They've never been to Derby. They don't know what's going to happen. You guys watching online, they don't know. Here's what it says. Look at verse 21. I have it for you. They preached the good news, the gospel, in that city, Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Basically, at that point, they would move to be disciples. They were really converts. Then they returned to these cities where they had been beaten and so forth, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now, what if, what if when they're entering Derby and all these people get saved, Barnabas says to Paul, hey, we did our job. These people have come to Christ. Let's go home where we started. The church we left way back there, they love us. I'm so tired of getting beat up and kicked out of places. Come on, let's just go back there. Let's go back to a safe place. What if all they left all the number of unbelievers? What would have become of those brand new people that just came to the Lord? What would become to them? Nothing. There's nobody there to help. There's nobody that has any wisdom. Nobody even knows what most of that means. Well, in the Bible, Jesus tells us the truth. And you need to know it. About three or four years ago, I did a whole, like, a 10-week series on this. It is huge. Look at this in Luke 15. Jesus tells us that just one sinner coming to repentance brings great joy. Just how many? Come on, come on. Put it up. Put it up. One. You say, well, Pastor Mark, really? One? Are you a One? Are you glad that somebody prayed for you and shared the gospel with you? I am. One. One. Well, why is that really true? Look at this. Everyone matters, and everyone is valuable to God. So they're not going to leave. They're going forward. They're going forward. Now, as they go to these other cities, I'm going to give you four keys if you want to write them down today. Here's what they're going to do in these cities. Remember, these are the cities where they had trouble. Verse 22, where they strengthened the believers, they encouraged them to continue, a very big key, in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean getting saved. It means that eventually these hardships will be over when we enter the kingdom of God, which is in heaven. Now, Paul knew that these young converts needed someone to teach them to grow. And they were just converts, 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 baby Christian, baby Christian, baby Christian. And he knows, okay, we got to make disciples out of them. He knew the Great Commission. Now, remember what we taught about disciples, what a disciple is? Here's the definition. A disciple is a lifelong learner under discipline, a growing, maturing Christ follower. So he's going to give the first steps to that. Because he is a lifelong learner. By the way, you think, well, Pastor Mark, I, I, I've been a Christian like for 48 years. I, I'm, I'm, I'm as mature as you're going to get. We're not talking about your age. We're talking about your spiritual age. Are you more and more like Christ? So every Christ follower needs courage to become a growing disciple. And then we ourselves need to make disciples of others, one-on-one kind of thing. Now, They're going to follow God's command to make disciples. That's what God said, and Jesus said in Matthew. Go and make disciples. Okay, they're going to do that. Here's the four steps. Number one, look at this, Acts 14, 22. All of you, balcony, watch. Where they strengthened the believers, 
They encouraged them to continue in the faith. So number one, Paul, this is the four things they're going to do. Strengthen the new believers. They are believers. They're converts. And these baby believers needed to learn the basics of Christianity. They didn't know the basics of Christianity. Every new convert, unless they've had some kind of church background, and they get saved, they don't know the basics at all of the Bible. And, of course, we have a Bible. They can learn it. They had nothing. So he's going to teach them basic, the basics of Christianity, and basically he would use some of the word. Remember, Paul had the Old Testament, and basically, but he knew what Jesus taught in much of the New Testament. Now, number two. Not only are they going to strengthen them, and, and, but now they're going to encourage them to continue in the faith, in the faith, what the Bible says to do. So Paul always had a goal. This is actually a goal for a pastor. Let me read it to you. If you want to write it down, it's Colossians 1, 28. I've had that in my Bible for like 50 years. This is a pastor's goal. Let me read it to you. So we tell others, basically to a pastor, but to all of you, about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. And we want to present them, the people, perfect, the word really means mature, in their relationship with Christ. That's why I teach. This is the goal of God. I'm here, and I'm trying to teach you with God's wisdom, not mine. I'm teaching you. I'm encouraging you. I'm warning you. And that's why we're given. That's what we use the word of God. Now, encourage. What does it mean to encourage somebody? Here it is. The action of giving someone support, confidence, and hope. Anybody ever need to be encouraged? Let me add to it. In the last six months, here we go. A million hands go up, okay? Now, whoever wrote Hebrews, I think it was Paul, but everybody argues about that. I could care less because it's God's word. Look what it says. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, encourage one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. So there's a positive. He's saying to these young believers, you have to, you have to encourage one another and to acts of, uh, of love and good works. And then he says, here's a negative, a warning. Let's put it like that. Not neglect our meeting together. When I leave, you guys have to keep getting together. That's where the strength is. And, but he says, you're going to find some people, it says, don't neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now think about this. Don't neglect meeting together. That's talking about small groups, and I'll talk about it in a moment. But look at the last part. Guys, put that verse up again one more time, if you will, the one I just finished. Look at the last part of this verse when it comes up. You're going to see, especially now that the day of returning is drawing near. What does that mean? 
We're not, we're not to neglect the meeting together. We're meeting together here. We're meeting together online. We're doing all this together. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, Pastor Mark, I come every nine months or something. What's the problem? If you don't see a problem, I don't think you're even a believer. I'm serious. So why would he write that? Because he knew people did start neglecting. Because the cares of the world and all kinds of other things, well, I can't go this week. I'll try to go the next eight weeks. And I'm not challenging you. I'm not saying you got to be here every week so I can give you a star on your forehead. Praise the Lord. No, that's in kindergarten. But look at that last line. Do you see what it said? Look at the timing. Let me read it to you again. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You need to be in the church. You need to be growing. Why? I can say this absolutely truth. Nobody here has ever been closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ in your life than right now. Ten years ago? No. It's very different. And if Jesus doesn't come in the next month or two, it's going to continue like that. See, there's a point where Jesus is coming back. First in the rapture, and then we're going to have the tribulation, and then we're going to have he's actually returning to Jerusalem, the second coming of Jesus. And so... Between now and then, what do you think Satan's trying to do? Get the people out of the faith. Get them lukewarm. Stop doing that. You don't need that word anymore. You've been to church enough. That's enough. Even 2,000 years ago, this writer from God says, cut it out. Because Satan will get you lukewarm and you might be in trouble. Because you'll get right back into the old ways you used to do. We are closer now to the second coming of Jesus than we've ever been in the life of any of us. So that is a warning in love, in love from the writer. Now, so what am I trying to say? Look at the next part. How can I do that? Every Christ follower is to motivate, encourage one another, and to be meeting together. See, God didn't design us to do life alone. When Adam and Eve were created, Adam first, and he's naming all these animals. And he goes to God. God, the elephant has a wife, has a woman. Where's mine? Because he's what? Alone. What did God do? Just do a life alone. Bye. No, he what? Creates Eve. So now they're doing life with God. That's the way we're designed. And with others. You were never created to do life alone. No, this is what it says. And to be meeting together. If you happen to be here, at here, watching, Vera, Sebastian, wherever, balcony, whatever, all over you guys, if you are alone... It's time to get connected. And we do that with all kinds of small groups and all kinds of things. Let me mention a word that we don't like, but it's been here since March. Isolated. In our homes. Can't go out of your You know, there's still many parts of the world you can't go out of your house, period. Still. So that isolation, we did it because of the pandemic, obviously, for safety. We're still doing a lot of things to make sure safe. But even... At times, you can be in a small group with someone, 
you're in a small group at home. We're, we're getting our group started again. You can be there. It'll be safe. Also, the same thing you need to understand, you can do Zoom meetings. You can get together with people. Many of our men's groups just get together because at the moment they can't go with kids and all that kind of stuff. So they just get together. But together is better. And you need to not be doing it alone. Now, I know even now some of you can be discouraged and listening to Satan lies. Pastor Mark, I'm not moving forward in my life spiritually. Well, let me, let me give you two keys. Here they are. Encouragement gives a person hope and encourage to follow Christ. I like this next one. Christ followers need to have courage to encourage others. Now, if you're outside, and you're in the neighborhood, or you're meeting with somebody, and you can tell by their looking at them, something may not be right. You know what the loving thing to do is? If they know you, could I just pray for you? I don't need the details. But I just feel maybe, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I'd just like to pray for you and encourage you. Would anybody like that from time to time? Oh, sure you would, from another person. So we have to understand that. That's what we should do. So why did Paul tell them they must continue in the faith? Well, when a person accepts Jesus as their Savior and Lord, it is just days, maybe not even days, where spiritual warfare begins. They've left the kingdom of Satan, and now they're in the kingdom of God. And Satan hates it. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he would cause all kinds of temptations and things that would confuse a new believer. Jesus didn't come just to give us life. He came to give us overflowing life. So watch what happens in this verse. Reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So here's point number three. Paul is telling them it's the best lifestyle in the world to encourage one another, be encouraged yourself. But he says this, warn them about suffering hardships. Hardships. Paul is telling the new converts real truth. It takes it takes courage to tell the real truth. Sometimes you don't want to tell the real truth. For a pastor, I have to have God's courage to tell you the truth because some people don't like it. Remember, the Jews hated it. Don't tell, Paul, shut up. We're not interested in Jesus. Did he shut up? No, he just kept talking about Jesus. See, and so we have to have courage. And Paul is going to sell these people. It's going to get hard. There's going to be things coming in your life. Now, <clears throat> Watch this. I think this is really great. I guarantee you, I guarantee you when you see this, but I want to go back. When you see all these converts, they've been told this. There's a verse that he gives them. And look at this verse when you see this. He reminds them that they must suffer. It's not an if. They're going to suffer. So he's warning about these. Now, what he's really trying to say is this. Growing to be more like Jesus will, in, will, in, will be great, but it will encourage, uh, it will encounter all kinds of hardships. I want to say this to you. Next weekend, don't miss next weekend. I'm going to go to Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to relate it to this teaching. Not the same teaching at all, but different things. God's already given it to me. We're going to kind of take a look at Mount Perspective. What's life really about? 
what's going to happen in our life. And I'm going to go to Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to show you uh, to be alert to three ways Satan continues to basically deceive believers, not unbelievers, believers. So don't miss it. I'll show you. comes from a parable that Jesus gives himself. Now, Paul has the courage to share the truth, but he does it in love. He does it in love. Now, Paul was around these new believers, and they saw with their own eyes what hardship looked like. Even, you know, just a week or two later, you know, he's probably black and blue, broken arm, no way to fix it in those days, all those kind of things. So he's saying to them, you will experience all kinds of trouble. Now, here's why Paul has to do this. Many new believers have the wrong mistake. I'm getting my sins forgiven. I'm going to heaven. Man, that's fantastic. This is a great lifestyle. And they just think when they made this full commitment to God, the sailing will be as smooth as silk in my life. Wow, this is going to be great. I'm going right over to Hawaii now. They don't even make you wait two weeks. This is just fantastic. Is that true? No. See, but these people don't know it. So he's warning them in love. Stay on to the faith. Keep with it. It's going to be difficult, but God's with you. Now, when you see that, we know, obviously, all kinds of problems and pressures come up in our life. In fact, the Bible tells us something good. I'm going to put a verse up, but I want you to look at me. All of our campuses, Vera, Sebastian, you guys, Hotrich, and your homeless. I'll, I'll guarantee you, I might be wrong, but I'll guarantee you, 100% of you do not have this verse on your refrigerator. Okay? Jesus loves you. No, no, no. Watch this verse. I'll read it. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, don't ruin my 100%. Don't say, Pastor Mark, I have that there. I have it in my bedroom. I have it over and outside my gym room. I have it. That's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I just love it. You need to get saved. <laughs> is that verse true? It is. It is. So see, he's taking baby Christians and saying, it's going to happen. He's not hiding it. He's doing it in love. And I'm doing it in love. We have to keep the faith because Satan will try to get us off. Don't miss next week. Don't miss it. Pastor Mark, I've been a Christian long enough. I'm mature enough. Don't ever say, I'll never do that because you'll end up doing it. I'm serious. I've been doing this for a lot of years, and I've watched it. I have to watch myself big time. You say, well, Pastor Mark, I would never be tempted by that. Shut up. When Satan hears that, guess what's coming? Be smart. Listen to God. Block that from your mind. Now, maybe you're even here today and you're struggling in an area. I don't know what the hardship would be in the home, family, work, money, finance, health. I could just say this to you. Satan will say to you, give up. It isn't worth it. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in serving Christ, but that isn't worth it. It's just simply not worth it. But remember, Satan's a liar. Don't throw the towel in. Just keep going. And let me show you why. Paul wrote this to Timothy. Look at this verse. 2 Timothy 3.10. You, however, know all about my teaching. He was telling Timothy his kind of background. 
my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch? Here we are, Iconium and Lystra. The persecutions I, key word, endured. Let's read it together at the end. All of it at home and the campus is in yellow. Let's read it. Yet the Lord, from how many? Can I say hallelujah right there? So if you're here with one of those hard things, he will deliver you from everything. Put your faith in God, not in the lies of Satan. Put it in God. It's in the mind. It's in the mind. You have to get it. And how does our mind get changed? It's the Word of God. That's what changes our mind. Now, as you see that, Paul was saying, don't give up. And here's another reason. I'm sure some of those young guys are thinking, you're here to strengthen us. What does that mean? Well, look at Philippians 4.13. Paul writes this too. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes when God calls us to do something, I, I do this as a pastor. God, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, really, I, I, got, I think I got the sermon down. And I, just, I don't know how to end it. I don't know what to do here. And, and basically, I have to go back to this verse. This is a verse that I will have in the refrigerator. I actually have it here. I can do all things. Basically, through Christ who strengthens me. Remember this. If God calls you to do something, he will enable you to do it. He will, you can't have excuse. Forget it. Now, next thing you're going to see is very quick, and I won't take long. It's going to be the establishment of churches. In those days, other than synagogues, there were no churches. There were no churches. And much of the world, there's no churches. There's no church buildings. When the church started in Jerusalem, there were no church buildings other than the, the temple. So for them, they're thinking, okay, these guys, are there. you know, you don't have a uh, an apartment you can rent out, you know, you know, basically they're just going to meet in somebody's home or maybe even on the streets. That's all they have. So look at verse 23. So Paul and Barnabas appointed elders, leaders, spiritual leaders for them in each church. He's going to go before he goes all the way back home. He's going to establish a church in every single city with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord. So they just didn't go out and say, you, uh, you, and you. Good, be an elder. No, they prayed. And, and, and Timothy and Titus, it has all the definition. I don't have the time to do that. They, they tell us what an elder, what a pastor should be. And so they just put their trust in them. Next thing you have to see is they have the courage to establish these local churches as God directs. Now, sometimes it's, it's so simple, but we forget it. We make it complex. Why are we here? Why did God have a church? Well, a church is not a building. It's people. Look at these three things. This is the purpose of Jesus' church. Upward. It's the worship of God. You've done that. You will do that at the end of the service in one of the greatest songs you'll ever hear. Two, inward. When we come to church, we're worshiping God. But inside, right now, all of us, through the Word of God, it's feeding us. We're maturing, and we're making us more like Jesus because this is truth. And number three, if a church does worship of God upward, maturing of believers inward, but skips outward, it will fail. It will fail. 
That's why you guys are great, because you're inviting people, especially you guys in the homes. And you're inviting friends to come to church. I had somebody stop me the other day, not long ago. Is, is, is the church open, Pastor Mark? Yes, come on. And I just talk to people on the street. I'll even say, you know, our church is open. You can come. You can see me, one of the tall, best-looking guys in the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I told you there's no perfect people, didn't I? No, I'm joking. But see, our church knows the mission that Jesus gave us. Go into the world. Go. Don't sit in your seat. Go into the world and share the gospel. Well, Pastor Mark, I don't have strong ability to do that. God will give you the courage. Just go. Just go. So that's what a church is. Now, the next thing, the fourth key is this one. They knew they had to provide godly leadership and practical organization. See, a church, you just don't have a church, and it just starts, and there's nobody to lead it. See, a church has to have leadership. And God gifted certain people, elders and pastors, with that kind of thing. God of leadership. Remember, we're kind of like shepherds. We're not. He's the real shepherd. But a pastor is here to protect, feed, guide, and take care of the people. That's why we're here. And that appointment basically came from Paul. And I just want to say this to you. We have great pastors here. We have great elders here. And God has anointed them and whatever. And even the voting thing that I'm talking about and all that kind of stuff, we have a leadership. We have a leadership that helps us do the things that God... It's his church. It's not our church. But would you continue to pray for the pastors and the elders? Because we're human people. And guess where Satan always goes? Right to the top. That's why you see so many pastors fail. I'm not perfect. Thank you for praying for me. Pray for your elders and the leaders. But look what Paul is going to teach them. They didn't understand this. Look at Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Do you know that our world hates authority? They'll never submit. What are we supposed to do in our marriages? Submit one to another. Why do you think marriages leave? I'm the boss and I ain't listening to you. That's unbiblical. They keep watch over you as men must give an account. Our elders pray for you. We meet with you. We solve problems with God's help. I want you to know that we care for you. We keep watch over you. We try to protect you with the love of God and his wisdom, not my wisdom. You need shepherds. And what this says here is obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. It is our privilege to serve you. We're imperfect just like you are. But later, Paul says this. If you want to be, if you have a desire to be an elder or a pastor, be careful. Because you're going to be judged more than anybody else. So pray for us. Because Satan knows that. Now you say, well, Pastor Mark, what, you, like you, are you special? Of course not. But I'm teaching normally when we get back to thousands of people. I'm responsible. And if my attitude's wrong, God will just take me out. If I'm prideful, I'm gone. Praise the Lord. But see, Satan knows how to discourage people. So just thank you that we have godly church leadership and when we're in unity, you know how many churches are not in unity? We're in unity. 
We're not perfect in unity, but we're unified. You didn't come in this morning and go, oh, I'm not sitting next to that person. I'm about up here. Thank you, Jesus. You know, there's lots of churches that do that. When we're in unity, God loves unity. You know what? We make God look good. It's a place to go. It's a place to worship. And all of us are responsible for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Now, I'm going to give an altar call for people. I don't want anybody moving. Many of you are a good moral person here in the campus here or here, Sebastian, watching online, wherever. The thing goes all the way. I have people from all states and all kinds of countries watching. Let me just say this to you. You may believe in God even, but you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've been doing your own thing, and you've been kind of just trying to get by in life, but you already know it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You've been trying to run your own life, but you discover there's no peace, there's no hope, there's even no forgiveness even of their sins. You're guilty, and you know it, but you have no promise even of heaven. I want to say, you need to listen to what Jesus says. God gave me this verse. I didn't, two days ago, I didn't know how I was going to end the sermon. I had no idea. I said, but God, I don't know exactly what you want to do to end the sermon. This is the verse he gave me. Look at this. This is Jesus speaking. Luke 24, 9, 24. If you hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus is saying, if you put yourself first in life, trying to hang on to your life, ruling it, doing it your way, you will eventually lose your life. And you'll be separated. You will never, ever go to heaven. And then he says this, but if you make a commitment to me, if you put me the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit first, and you let me guide you through your life, you will save your life. Not only here, but in heaven forever. Now think of that. Here's something we don't like, but it's absolutely true. It will cost you to follow Jesus, but it will cost you more not to follow Jesus. And before we were a Christian, we know what that means, all of us. It'll cost you more. Now, some of you, basically, used to follow God. But you put you first, and you left the commitment behind. It's time to make a recommitment today. And I'm going to ask those of you that have never accepted Christ, and those of you that need to make a recommitment and put your life back under God, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Watch me. Take a step of courage. Admit it. I need God. Don't make an excuse. I need God. Courage. You say, but Pastor Mark, I can't make the courage. Yes, you can. The minute you say, see, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, not me. And it's time to get your life under the right leadership. And that leadership is Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, you will save your life. Now, how, you say, I know some of you say, well, how do I do that? Here it is. Romans 10, 9. Promise from God. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, come on, you will be saved. 
God never lies. That is a promise. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I want everybody that's at our campuses just to bow your head now for a moment. Everybody, everybody. Watching it from homes, bow your head. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for the people. Some, white, some are going to be even here in this campus and our other two campuses. Some are going to be at homes, people watching from all over. I want you to pray for them, that they would hear God, what I just spoke, and make the right choice, have the courage to say yes to Jesus. Now, you that are watching and need to make that commitment or recommitment, pray this with me, just quietly under your voice. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I know you died on the cross for me. And today, I take my life, and I make a commitment to follow you and not me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me the promise that I can have all my sins forgiven. And for those of you that need to make that recommitment, just say this, God, thank you that I get another chance with you. And both of you today, just say this. Today, read this with me. I receive your free gift of salvation. And I look forward to a life that's going to be very different because I'll have forgiveness, security, purpose, and hope. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Amen. Amen.